turn to Psalm 51, if you would please. Psalm 51. Psalm chapter 51. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you take advantage of the one that's in the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible and would like to take that one with you, you are welcome to do that, our gift to you. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Well, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the happy passages and the sad passages. We're thankful, Lord, that all of it is the very word of God. And so I pray today, as we look at these things, that you will speak to our hearts. Lord, I know that you've spoken to my heart so many times from this passage, and I pray today that you do so once again. You've done it as I studied, and I pray you do it as I preach. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would have open hearts to the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit today. Fill me with that spirit that I might speak your word boldly and accurately and clearly. Uh, Help me to say every single thing I ought to say without apology. and Help me to say nothing more. And I pray, Father, today that all of us would have ears to hear, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. Father, my words are insufficient. We need the Holy Spirit today to speak to the hearts of these your people. There may be somebody here today for whom this message is particularly uh, applicable, and I pray, Lord, that uh, the Holy Spirit would get hold of them, that they would know it's not me speaking, but, Lord, they're hearing you. And so just use this time, use this message. Change us, Father, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder this morning, have you ever blown it? Blown it. I mean, really, blown it. Psalm 51 is a record of how King David... A believing man, and that's a very important, uh, a very important thing for us to remember. He was a believing man. King David, this believing man, he was a man after God's own heart. Psalm 51 is an account of him discovering forgiveness and healing, even 
after committing horrible sins. Psalm 51 begins with great anguish of heart. I don't know if you felt that as, uh, as we read his words, but that's how it begins, anguish of heart. But it ends with hope, and it ends with worship. The psalm has its context in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, where Nathan the prophet came to King David and accused him of committing adultery and murder. True accusation, something that had actually happened. And David, his sins revealed, demonstrated confession and repentance in this psalm. Do you remember that story? It's a very common story. It's one most people seem to remember for some reason, even though it's difficult to read and it's difficult to contemplate. The story is, and you can go to 2 Samuel and read this on your own, but let me just summarize it, give you the executive summary. David, this believer, loved God and God loved him. God is the one who called David a man after his own heart. David sang of his love for God prolifically. The book of Psalms in our Bible is filled with David's singing of his love for God. Not all 150 Psalms were written by David, but a good number of them were. The majority of them were. And uh, you can't read Psalms without seeing a heart of a man who loved God. But David blew it. He He blew it more than once. In the case before us, he fell into the sin of adultery with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And it was an affair which brought a child into the world. And when David learned that he had gotten Bathsheba pregnant, he engaged in all sorts of deception and subterfuge to attempt to cover up that sin. He tried to get her husband Uriah to uh, be tricked into thinking that the child would be his when it was born. But none of that worked. And David came to the conclusion that his sin would eventually be discovered as soon as it became clear that Bathsheba was pregnant. And so he ratcheted things up a bit. And he had Uriah murdered. Murdered. There's no other word that we can use for it. He used war to do it. But he had him murdered. Talk about blowing it. The baby was born. Time went on. David, this man who had so loved God and had sung so many psalms, I don't think was singing any psalms at this particular time in his life. And he was living with the knowledge of what he had done. But all during this time, and we don't know exactly how long it was, but it was a little bit of time. All during this time, uh, there's no indication that he repented or that he confessed of his sin or that he dealt with it in any way. It just was there, festering, unconfessed. And so God sent Nathan, a prophet, to confront David about his sin. And when God thus forced David to consider the ramifications of what he had done, when Nathan confronted him with that, David cried out to God for forgiveness, and this psalm came from those cries. Have you ever blown it? Maybe not like that, but have you ever blown it? Well, I have. I have. I have had times when my joy was gone. I have had times when my love for God seemed cold and lifeless. I have had times when my fellowship with him was broken. Have you? We talked about this a little bit in in our FBC 101 this morning. There there have been times in, in my life where I didn't feel like praying. And even if I tried to pray, it felt like my prayers bounced off the ceiling. The heavens were brass, I believe is the way someone in the Bible described that. And it was because I knew there was something between me and him. I had blown it in some way. I had some sin that stood between us. 
and affected our relationship. And I was avoiding that issue. Has that ever been true of you? Have you ever blown it? Well, David blew it big time. But then he got it right. Then he got it right. And I think you and I can learn a lot from how David dealt with this thing. We can get it right, too. Let me just suggest three different things. It's always three. I don't know if you ever noticed that. It's always three. Three different things that uh, I pull out of here that help us. The first is this. You need to see sin. You need to see it. I mean, really, see it. If you've blown it and you want to make it right, then you have to admit exactly what sin is. And the first thing that you have to recognize is that sin is against God and only against God. Notice what David said in verse number four, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Whether it affects others or not, it is ultimately a breach in the relationship we have with God. Now, his sin certainly affected others. Think of all the all those who were affected. Uriah certainly was affected by it. He was killed. Bathsheba was certainly affected by it. Her life was turned upside down. There was a baby that was born of this union, and God, in judgment, took that baby home. So the baby was affected. Nathan, the prophet, can you imagine? I can't imagine what it would be like to have be called of God to go and stick your finger in the face of your king, your beloved king, your, your sweet psalmist of Israel king, the king that you knew was a believer, and accuse him of this. Nathan was affected. Joab, his general. Imagine being the general who, who King David went to and said, I want you to take Uriah, who, by the way, was one of Joab's most faithful men, and one of David's most faithful men. I want you to take him and set him right up against the wall there where he will die. I want you to let him be killed. Joab had to hear that from his king, and he had to then go and carry out that order. Of course, you know, in order to do that, he had to send other men up there with him. It wasn't just Uriah that went to the wall and was killed that way. So all these others also would have died because of that sin. And think of all God's people who looked up to David as their spiritual leader, who somehow, I I can't imagine that this stayed completely quiet. I've got to believe that there was some knowledge of this that spread around, and uh, they would have been affected. But the sin was ultimately against God. Ultimately. And so too is yours, and so too is mine. King Abimelech knew the same to be true. You remember the story of King Abimelech? One day, Abraham moved into his realm. And Abraham had tagged along with him his beautiful wife, Sarah. And uh, he told Abimelech something. He said, she is my sister. Well, now, that was partially true. She was his half-sister. But he conveniently held this other tidbit of information, which was she was also his wife. And so Abimelech, not knowing that she was his wife, took him home and was going to marry her himself. Until God intervened in a dream and uh, threatened him with uh, some rather serious judgment if he touched her. And uh, in that dream, God said to him, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Had Abimelech sinned in the matter of Sarah and Abraham, it would not have been a sin against Sarah. It would not have been a sin against Abraham. It would have been a sin against God. That's what he said. There would have been collateral damage. 
But the sin would have been against God. Joseph understood that same thing. When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, you might remember that story as well. And Joseph did the right thing in refusing her advances. And, of course, he still ended up going to jail, even though he had done the right thing. But when he was refusing her, listen to what he said to her. He said, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he, Potiphar, kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He knew who the sin would be against. Sin is against God. Jesus, in his parable of the prodigal son, said the exact same thing, shared the same truth. In that story, when the prodigal returned to his senses, he said, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. So when David sinned this great sin, when he blew it, it was his relationship with God that was affected. Oh, there was all kinds of collateral damage. There's no doubt about it. The place was littered with those who were affected by his sin. But the sin was ultimately against God. And when we blow it, we need to see that that's what sin is. We need to see and admit the exact same thing. Now, there's something else about his sin that's true, and that's that it was nothing unusual. It was nothing different than any of us do. Nothing unusual about David. He was simply acting like a fallen human being. If I blow it and I sin, it's just the same with me. I sin because I'm a sinner. You sin because you're a sinner. It's, uh, there's nothing different about any of us. It's our nature to sin. It's my nature to sin. And David, he knew and acknowledged that as well. In verse number 5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. We are sinners. The Bible says it clearly. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. By nature, we were children of wrath, we're sinners. Now, of course, there may be some here this morning that don't believe the Bible. There may be some in this crowd that have not accepted the Bible's the word of God. And you're saying, that's, that's, I don't believe that's true. I believe all people are good. But then you can't deny your own experience, can you? This is, an easy, this is an easy thing to test. You want to know how to test this? You take two toddlers and throw them in a room, put one toy in between them. It's very easy. Which of their parents taught them to bash their, their sibling over the head and steal the toy? Which of the parents taught them to scream and holler and do all those things? No, we're born evil. We're born sinners. They're evil from the very first breath. It's our nature. Kathy and I were dating. We were driving one evening down some back road in Pennsylvania. I don't remember where we were. And as we were driving along, we came across a relatively large snake laying across the road. Now, some people would have run over that thing. My, my, Beth, my first wife, would have done that. She would have run over it, and then she would have backed up, and then she would have run over it, and then she would have backed up. <laughs> Until she was sure there was not one inch of that that wasn't flattened on the road, she would have kept going. Some people would have just drove around it and gone on. That's what I would have done. Who cares about the stupid snake? I would have just gone on around. But not animal-loving Kathy. We had to slam on the brakes, and she had to jump out. Somebody might hit that snake. And so she was going to move it off the road until this copperhead or whatever this vicious thing was you know, launched itself at her, and she came running back to the car, and I still remember what she said. She said, he's grumpy. <laughs> he's grumpy. 
Yeah, I thought. Just like all snakes are. It's just acting its nature. You know, all things have their nature. Frogs croak and cats meow and dogs bark and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And snakes strike and sinners sin. It's our nature. And David knew it. And he also knew it was totally contrary to what God desires and demands from each of us. Look at verse number 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. So we take all this together. And we arrive at this simple conclusion. There's no one else to blame. There's no one else to pin this thing on. When we blow it, it's because of who we are. It's because of what we are. And when we blow it, it's a crime against God. And it's not a crime against anybody else. You may remember a few years back, this came to my mind, but I don't remember the exact details of it, but a few years back there was a woman in Cleveland who was killed at an ATM. Do you remember that? Fell a gunder down trying to rob her at an ATM. And when he came to trial, his defense was, yes, I meant to rob her, but I didn't mean to kill her. My gun just accidentally went off. That was his defense. I didn't mean to do it. You know, we live in a day like that. We live in an age where everybody is quick to have an excuse for their actions. We, we blow it and we blame it on everybody else. But David did no such thing here. He gave no such excuse. When he was confronted with his sin, he admitted it was who he was and that it was a sin against God. So if you've blown it, you need to get there. Can you get there? Well, you recognize it's who you are. And it's a sin against God. Because if you can get there, then you can go to the next step, which is this. Seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness. Not only once, but often. Look at verse number 7. He said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Once we recognize what sin is, once we see it, really see it, then we can seek forgiveness from it. And forgiveness is twofold in the Bible, I think. There is that one time and forever forgiveness that we find at the foot of the cross when we come to Christ. Have you experienced that one? That's the most important one. Have you been forgiven of all your sins by my Savior? He wants to do that. He wants to do that for you. He died on the cross that he might do that for you. All you have to do is ask for it. But there's another forgiveness, and that's this continual daily washing that we need. Jesus talked about that when he talked about washing the disciples' feet in uh, John chapter uh, 10, I think it is. So if you've, uh, if you've suffered through everything I've said so far, will you hear this part? There is forgiveness. If you have blown it, no matter how you've blown it, no matter how many times you've blown it, no matter where you've blown it, no matter why you've blown it, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. Once and forever. There's forgiveness at the foot of the cross, and every day there's forgiveness to keep us washed and cleaned. David knew that. On another day he would write and sing, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. We are forgiven forever at the foot of the cross. We never need to concern ourselves with whether or not as a Christian we're ever going to go to hell, because that's dealt with. Our sins are forgiven. Had David died without ever having dealt with this, if he had, if he had gone on to, to meet God without ever having written Psalm 51, he would have still gone to heaven because he was a believer. He had been ultimately forgiven. But his relationship with God is what was restored 
His fellowship with God is what needed restored. And that's where we need that daily forgiveness, that daily washing. David knew those things. He sought forgiveness. He sought cleansing from his sin. And if you've blown it, you need to do the same. And if you do, there's one other thing, one other thought, and that is this. You will find relief. You will find relief. Forgiveness and cleansing will be yours. I love verse number 7. Verse number 7 says you will be clean. You will be so clean that there is no word to describe it. How can anything be whiter than snow? How is that possible? Beth, is it possible for anything to be whiter than snow? I, I don't think it is. We were treated to a snowfall just the other day, and, and uh, even though I'm, I'm tired of snow, some people aren't, but I am. I'm ready for no, there to be no more snow. But nonetheless, it was beautiful. I have to admit, it was beautiful. And, and, I, and I was thinking through these things, and, and I'm looking at that snow, and I'm thinking, how can anything be whiter than that? How can anything be whiter than that? White, and yet that's how clean we are when even after we've blown it, we seek forgiveness whiter than snow. James Nicholson wrote a song. We've sung it before. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol. Cast out every foe. And now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, let nothing unholy remain. Apply thine own blood. Extract every stain. To get this blessed cleansing, I all things forgo. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's what you'll find. You'll have forgiveness. You'll also have something else. You'll have joy again. Joy. I don't know about you. When I've blown it, I have discovered that was lacking. If you've blown it, you don't have much joy in your life. Do you remember what it's like to be happy in Jesus? Do you remember that? Well, we were seeing some of that yesterday, weren't we? Some people who were happy in Jesus. Do you remember when everything felt new and right and good in your walk with God? Do you remember that joy? Because when we blow it, you know what happens? It goes up in smoke, and it's gone, and we miss it. But it's right there waiting for us when we seek that forgiveness and cleansing. David said in verse number 8, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Verse number 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. I have a friend. Well, I had a friend in another state that I lived in. His name was Tim. I've lost touch with him, so I'm not sure if I can say is or was. I'm not even sure he's still alive. It's been so long since I have spoken with this fellow. But... uh, I used to work with him, and I remember that he freely confessed Christ. He believed himself a believer, and to give every indication of being so. But he was also not in church. He was completely backslidden. He was living a completely worldly life, and he knew it. We would talk about it from time to time. And I remember one time talking to him about this, and he admitted to me that one of the things that he truly missed was joy. He had no joy. And the actual phrase that he used is he said, in in reality, I'm just plain miserable. We don't have to live like that. Christians don't have to live like that. You need not feel that way no matter how you may have blown it because you can and will have joy again if you'll seek the forgiveness that David sought here. Some years back I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with Charlie Indiana in their home. Hope you guys don't mind if I tell a story on you. Can I tell a story on you? Is Charlie back there somewhere? Ah, good, I could tell a story on him. Anyway, had the privilege of sharing the gospel with them in their home, and 
they trusted Christ. And we talked about it for a little bit. And it was just a sweet time and a blessed time. And as we were walking out of the place, I remember Charlie following me out onto his porch in the Santa Ana, And he said something to me that I've never forgotten. He said, I feel like a great weight has been lifted. Of course, I've read that, heard other people say that in writings and stuff, but I've never had anybody actually say that to me, eyeball to eyeball. And it just really got to me. I feel like a great weight has been lifted. You know, that's the relief that we feel when we first experience the forgiveness at the foot of the cross, but it's also the relief that we feel when we have blown it and we have messed up our relationship with God and we confess our sins and get things right again. That same weight is lifted once again. You will have joy, a renewing of joy when you turn back to him. Another thing that you'll have, according to verse number 17, is your relationship with and fellowship with God will be restored again. I'm reminded once again of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. When that wretch turned back and uh, confessed and got things right, he was completely and totally restored to fellowship with him. He wasn't slotted in someplace lower down now because he was a, a prodigal. Nope, right back where he had been. And another thing, verse number 13, you will be useful to God again. And your testimony will again provide your hope and direction to the lost. So, you need to see sin, really see it. You need to seek forgiveness, confessing it, and you will find relief. Billy Graham, of course, just recently went home to be with his Lord. I I remember reading some years ago. He mentioned that a London psychologist had had a conversation with him. And this psychologist told Billy Graham that he believed 70% of the people in mental hospitals in England, and this was a London guy, he's saying in England, 70% of the people in mental hospitals in England could be released if they could find forgiveness. Their problem was a bad conscience, and they could gain no relief from the guilt and pressure under which they lived. I think that's probably true. David's experience reminds us no child of God need live with such a guilty conscience. What he learned is a lesson for all who have blown it somewhere along the line. The same truth James taught when he wrote, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's the same truth John proclaimed when he wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the same truth the songwriter uh, wrote when he wrote, I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming. So let me ask this one more time. Have you blown it? Have you blown it? Is the Holy Spirit right now reminding you of something, something that stands between you and God, something that maybe you've let fester, even though you know it makes your faith less than it ought to be, hollow, even though you know maybe it makes your joy non-existent? whether that sin is in word or in deed, whether you've blown it openly or in view, in view of others or silently, and nobody else you think knows about it. If you're here this morning and you've blown it, you can have that joy restored, just as David did. You can be clean again, just as David did. 
You need to say it, just as David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Oh, I encourage you. I encourage you if you need this, that you'll do as David did. And then I have one final thought. You know there's only two kinds of people in the world, right? There's only two. Lost and saved. And both of them are in this room this morning. David was a saved man. And so I've been speaking almost exclusively to saved people here today. But let me address the rest of you for a minute because you know who you are. You know who you are. You've heard the good news that Jesus died on the cross for you. You've listened to it and you've done nothing about it. Maybe you've heard it from this pulpit or from other pulpits. Maybe you've listened to it on the radio. Maybe you've read about it. Countless places that you can be saved and have your sins forgiven forever if you'll just place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you haven't done it. So let me encourage you just for a moment to do it and to do it today. Why be miserable when you can have joy? Why be enslaved when you can be free? Why be dead when you can have life, life abundant? We're going we're gonna to conclude this message, and we're going to sing in just a moment. And you're going to be invited to step out, come to the front. And if you haven't dealt with that yet, why don't you do it today? Why don't you come and seek the forgiveness that's only available at the foot of the cross? Or you can be a coward. Stay there in that seat, scared of what other people might think of you. Spend all of eternity in hell. That's the choice. I encourage you to make the right one.